Ian, we're doing a special episode about the internet this week, and I was just wondering, do you think there's any chance we could give the mag away for free online? Good idea. Page 94, the Private Eye podcast. Hello and welcome back to series three of page 94. They said it couldn't be done, they said it shouldn't be done, and look at us, we're doing it anyway. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray, and today we're going to be looking at Fleet Street's perverse sadomasochistic relationship with giving away its stuff for free online. We're also going to have an update on the Freedom of Information special that we ran in series two, and talk to Ed Barrett, who writes Private Eyes from the message boards. But first, you will have seen that the independent newspaper closed its doors for the last time in March. So we thought this would be a good moment to look at the prospects for British newspapers in the brave new digital world. The independent has gone completely online, but that is not the only strategy out there. Uh, The Guardian gives away everything for free. The Times has a paywall. The Telegraph has a partial paywall. The Daily Mail has no paywall. The Sun used to have a paywall, and then they decided that no one was looking at their website, so they dropped it again. And finally, the newest paper on the block, Trinity Mirror's New Day, has no website whatsoever, just trying to sell through the newsstands. So there is a vast range of strategies out there for trying to make any money at all and survive in the new digital world. Private Eyes' strategy, on the other hand, is to basically pretend that the internet does not exist. Here's our editor, Ian Hislop. Our strategy was described by the editor of The Spectator, who said, Private Eye is the master of doing nothing, which seemed to be quite (laughs) rude. But it does contain a small truth in that our 10-year digital strategy has largely been not to go digital. So the website does look like it was made in about 1994. Well, that's very kind of you. (laughs) Um, No, had I had the full courage of my conviction, I would have just copied the website of Le Canard Enchaînet which is the wonderful French satirical magazine, and their website says, go away and buy the magazine. (laughs) And that's it. Um, There's just a message there. So I'm I'm not um, obviously brave enough to do that, and I want the website to um, suggest to people that, oh, Privatise a good magazine, I should go away and buy it. So the message is, is more or less the same. Street of Shame writer Adam McQueen is also the Eye's resident historian, and as a young journalist in the 1990s, he was very much at the bleeding edge of private eye technology because he was more or less the only person in the building who'd ever sent an email. Here he is on the Eye's grand digital strategy, which never quite happened. The amazing, most amazing fact about the Eye is, which very few people realise now, is that we were one of the very first British newspapers to go online. Really? Go on, guess, guess when the first Eye website was set up? Uh, ooh, uh, 1998. Lower. Four. Higher. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it doesn't work if we do it that way, does it? <laughs> 1995. The Guardian first uh, launched their full kind of bells and whistles website in 1999, as did The Sun before kind of backtracking on it. The mail is way, way later. The mail is kind of like mid-noughties or something. The only one I can remember, I started doing stuff for the Eye in 1997. And at that point, the only paper I can remember being online in any sort of significant way was the Electronic Telegraph. And I remember this because in my first days here, uh, when we were still working with uh, floppy disks and, uh, and, and kind of ancient old computers, we were at least onto computers, if I wanted to do any research on this newfangled thing called the internet, uh, I had to get 50p from Hillary from the petty cash tin downstairs and go across the road, across Dean Street to a site cafe uh, and kind of get five minutes on a dial-up modem it was it was incredible and everyone thought i was just a terribly clever young man he uses this thing <laughs> called the internet you know 
I did find one thing, which was that apparently there was a sort of digital partnership with Microsoft in the 90s. What, what was that? That was very early days. Um, yes, we were persuaded that we should have a, an all singing and, and dancing website where the yobs jumped up and down and hit each other and um, uh, the stories came to life in marvellous ways, and which was only possible, you know, if someone gave you a vast amount of money. Um, and Microsoft did indeed give us a vast amount of money uh, for a very short period until I put in this cartoon about someone uh, looking into a screen saying, spell check doesn't recognise the word monopoly. <laughs> it became apparent that that sort of sponsorship was probably not the way Private Eye could ever work. Just one of the many ways in which the Eye has thwarted its would-be commercial partners over the years. But more on that later. Now, the Eye may have been one of the first newspapers to have had our fingers burned by the white heat of technology, but the early days of the internet were full of this kind of dubious decision-making. There was this really bizarre idea um, in the 90s that, that you, w- you didn't maximise on your brand at all. You launched something entirely new. So when the Guardian website started, it wasn't called The Guardian. It was called News Unlimited. And the Sun website was called currentbun.com, which just seems so insane now, doesn't it? That you wouldn't take kind of the brand that's established there as a news thing and you'd do something else. But actually, if you think it's, it, it's lost, Ocado made up name for what was originally the Waitrose website, wasn't it? But that, that was the kind of thinking at that point. And, and the thinking was also that you had to give your stuff away for free or, you know, there was no alternative to that. And the result of that was expressed in a Private Eye cartoon quite early on with the, uh, an editorial team saying, oh, congratulations, guys. Um, we've just become our own biggest competitor. I mean, there is a real problem for, for newspapers, particularly those who, who went down the digital route and put a lot of money into it. And The Guardian, you know, has lost a staggering amount of money this year. I mean, one of the more amusing sights of the last few months has been The Guardian giving lectures to The Independent about how its model doesn't really work and that uh, you do really have to um, work in, a, in the real financial world. I mean, The Independent, someone um, told me, could have lasted for 100 years um, on the losses that The Guardian's had. So they're all in, in financial trouble. But part of it is for um, getting too excited about what is possible digitally. And the amount of advertising in the digital world seems pretty limited. And the more the technology advances, there's just a reluctance for people to advertise online. And traditional advertising in print and on television still seems to work, still seems to generate money. The sales of niche products, um, you know, Private Eye and um, Current Affairs magazines, and there, there are sectors where print's doing really pretty well. So there's not going to be no eye sidebar of shame. I feel the whole of the eye is a sort of main bar of shame. <laughs> the other thing is that there's a massive difference between the print and online operations of most papers online. So the Mail, quite a conservative newspaper, yeah. does hire a lot of journalists, does you know break a lot of stories, this kind of thing. Yeah. Online, complete pool of celebrity stuff. And you, you can barely find the, uh, the Mail columnists who are such big beasts in the paper edition. Yeah. And there's just a very curious difference there is that something that you think is going to stretch further and further this kind of chasm between the two yes i mean it it must create huge editorial problems when you've got a sort of responsible moral whatever um editorial line and a feeling that the only way to make money is to run pictures of kim kardashian's ass i mean there is there is a slight problem there the old daily telegraph reader i mean quite like reading some smut on page three but liked it's a bit disguised and the same with the mail it the divide between the operation that makes the money and the operation that you know is the traditional model 
obviously gets worse. On The Guardian, what they've done is it's all the same, but it's so far-reaching and so sort of extraordinary in terms of its ambition that uh, it shows signs of sort of imploding. They've managed to find a way of becoming so popular that they're at real risk of not being able to continue. Yes, I mean, that in in, in a sense is genius, but um, <laughs> Rusbridge's vision of, of uh, sort of messianic deliverance from the cloud, it hasn't happened yet, um, and I think the true believers are still waiting. Adam McQueen. Well, The Guardian, for, for a starting point, I would suggest maybe not putting their stuff up online before I've had the chance to pay for it. Because more often than not, I'll go out and buy The Saturday Guardian, and I'll read sort of book reviews in, in their review section, and I'll suddenly think, hang on, I've read this. It's not that I've read another review of the book. It's actually that I have read that review, which they put up on their website on Wednesday, before I had the chance to give them £2.80 to read it. How can that be logical? I wonder if newspapers had their time again, though. If they had all said at the beginning of the internet, right, let's close the drawbridge, lock ourselves off completely, whether they would have gone out of business faster or whether papers would now be completely out of business. I don't know. It's very hard to know. I guess the argument went on, I'm sure much cleverer people than me considered this at the time, it would have been to have complementary print and digital offerings, wouldn't it? It would be to have your kind of breaking news and a kind of digest of the day's news each day on the website, but save all your kind of features and book reviews and all that stuff that people do actually quite like to read of a weekend, reading the papers in bed of a morning or over breakfast. And... Put that out as a rather nice-looking print offering that you can sell some advertising in. I always thought that one might work. Print offering, also known as newspaper. I believe it is, yes, yes. (laughs) Non-digital linear analogue model, yes. Do you ever look at Mail Online's millions of readers longingly and think, we deserve a slice of that? Obviously, I'm very jealous of anybody who's got lots of readers. I'm, you know, I'm vain enough to want lots and lots of people to read the eye. And also, you know, beneath the vanity, I think we produce lots of good stories that I would like to get out into the mainstream. But part of me is always thrilled when um, our stories are stolen and they are more and more, particularly anything that involves investigation or really hard work. Those stories tend to reappear in the mainstream. After a time lapse. Once they've read it. <laughs> yeah, once they've read it, yes. Oh, about once a fortnight. So um, the number of young journalists who talk to me about clickbait and the miseries of working in what are essentially factories for reprocessing stuff that's barely news. I mean, that's pretty miserable, and I don't want to go down that route. That hasn't stopped everyone else from doing exactly the same thing. And I mean exactly the same thing. Basically, all newspaper websites, apart from The Guardian, are now the Mail Online because it's the only one that's worked in terms of the number of hits it gets. That, I think, is the oddest thing. I mean, the eye's really unique position in the media comes from the fact that we're the only people doing what we do. We haven't got any sort of direct competitors at all. We haven't done since Punch Folded. To be honest, we haven't done since Punch Folded the first time, because the second version of Punch that came back when Firehead was in charge of it was was, was something entirely different. But that's, that's a story for another day. We've got that kind of unique thing that we're selling. You literally have to go out and spend £1.80 a fortnight if you want to get that that's out there. What I think is oddest about the models of various other uh, newspapers online is that they haven't kind of capitalised on what they've got. I mean, the Telegraph used to be kind of – it had a very distinctive voice of its own, which was, you know, the voice of the shires. It was the voice of the countryside. Um, and supposedly, you know, this is this this generation of silver surfers out there that would have been quite happy to to kind of get that on, on online. But instead, they've gone for this sort of homogenised sub-Buzzfeed kind of listicle – Lists aren't the worst thing in the world, but just just kind of 
churnalism is the, is the, is the phrase, I suppose, which is exactly the same. You will find the same stories on the Mirror Online, on Telegraph, on the Mail Online, on BuzzFeed, all those other sites. And they will just be, you know, whatever YouTube video is is doing the rounds on Twitter already at that morning with nothing added to it at all. They're, they're completely homogenised. They're just all trying to do the same thing and go after the same market. Well, that's interesting because in his book, Flat Earth News, Nick Davis identified the journalism thing. I think he coined the word. And he, he also did. said that a lot of the newspapers run the same stories. And he was talking about print editions. You'll get the same 20 top stories in most newspapers. And this well, is not this, online. This is what Kelvin McKenzie was used to say about The Sun in the 80s. He used to say, you'll get... All of the stories that are being covered in The Guardian that day will be done in the sun, but they'll be done better and they'll be done shorter. And actually, I mean, as someone, as one of those very few people who does read most of the newspapers each day, the news agenda is pretty much the same across the across the board. I mean, there will be the odd kind of big investigation or specialist thing or, or a specialist correspondent who brings something in for some of the papers. But the, the, the news agenda is basically, you know, it is mostly the same stories being done across there. But at least they're stories that are kind of being done properly. They're not just there's this amazing video of a cat on YouTube and you have to see it. Although, to be honest, you've probably seen it already because you're on Twitter or you're on Reddit or, you know, it's 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 been doing the rounds for, 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 for the whole morning before before yeah. you get it up there. We've just had uh, the indie saying yeah. we are going to be a digital newspaper from now on. Yeah. Do you think that can work? I mean, I would like it to work. I wish the indie only the best. I mean, it was a paper I read and enjoyed. It's full of very, very good columnists and very good journalism. So it's depressing that it didn't sell or didn't sell in sufficient quantities. It was actually doing better. And the potted version of it, the eye, was, was doing well. So, you know, I, I think it's a, a real shame. And I hope the digital version is something like uh, what I would have called the real version. But I don't know. You just have to hope. There are, of course, huge differences between the way journalism is done in a newspaper with lots of layers of editorial, legal and this kind of thing. And online, where often you'll have people being encouraged to write and put their stuff up without many intermediary layers. Yeah, I mean, totally different editorial values, totally different editorial team. And they were specifically split apart. Um, It was part of uh, the Lebedev's tactic when they took over. The the website was split off into a completely different company, uh, which is what's enabled the the, the takeover now with, you know, the the, the eye going off to Johnson Press uh, and the website carrying on while the independent closes down. They've had a lot of content from the paper on there anyway. And it's always sat very uneasily. I mean, it's quite weird having Patrick Coburn reporting on, you know, the latest goings on in Iraq next to here is a video that's been put up on the internet and it will give you all the feels because that's the, you know, it's, 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 well, that's a fantastic one. That Now Rupert Murdoch has tweeted this about Brexit and we don't know what to think. <laughs> That's a very common formulation is we don't know what to think. It's along with you've been But doing- it's so true, isn't it? It's one of those headlines that really speaks the truth. It's like, we really haven't got a clue what to think about this, nor the time to think about it in any way whatsoever, because yeah. we've just got to get it up there. Well, it's probably quite a good thing to do. You could say, you know, this war, this war correspondence from Patrick Coburn will give you all the feels. <laughs> Maybe that's the way forward. <laughs> Kim Sengupta has been following Boko Haram. Fact number five will make you sob. <laughs> Oh, God, this is actually the future, isn't it? We're joking about it, but this is what's going to happen. There's the other thing, which is that, um, for example, sites like BuzzFeed have started doing investigations. They've hired a, a large investigative team. So the recent tennis scandal, that was a BuzzFeed story. Yep, and yeah, it was absolutely. followed up They've got by some fantastic print operations. People there. They're, doing very, they're doing great things. And the other thing they're doing is, is, is doing it alongside the BBC, aren't they? I mean, the... Um 
the all the fa- the fantastic kids company investigation was a joint uh, BuzzFeed and Newsnight investigation. Um, I mean, they, yeah, they they are genuinely trying to do something different, uh, which the newspapers already had the resources to do, but didn't seem to think that was the way forward. For the uninitiated, BuzzFeed operates on the revolutionary model of combining investigative journalism with light entertainment. I asked Ian whether this was a model that rang any bells with him. Yes, and I, th- I think that's a very good model. I'm very impressed, you know, BuzzFeed said we will hire some of the best investigative journalists, which they did. And lo and behold, they've got some great stories, um, which is, um, you know, exactly um, what I think they should do. So um, uh, I think they're doing, you know, a surprisingly good job there by investing in real journalism. But I bet you the economic model will follow. I bet you they will find that people are less um, airheaded and uh, absurd than they're usually dismissed by propagators of the clickbait model. And uh, they will end up finding that people are attracted by real journalism. At the end of it all is the question of whether journalism can be done in a way which is free for the reader and then costs the advertiser or whoever else you've got paying for it. Because a lot of newspapers get about half their money from subscriptions or from buyers and half of it from adverts. This was one of the advantages that I had in the early days. It's, we, we were thought so unrespectable in the 60s that no one, no decent brands would advertise uh, with us. And I remember Dave Cash, who was the managing director in the early days, telling me that at one point they, they couldn't sell the advertising space and an agency who they were quite friendly with in Soho just said, look, all right, you know, we'll give you, we've got, just give us the free space. We'll put this client's ads in. The client was so furious to have their brand associated with private eye that they fired the agency. You know, wow. this, this was the sort of reputation we had uh, back in those days. So the business model had to be that we got the money in from the readers. And it is a much, much better, in terms of being compromised, um, it's much, much better to be beholden to your readers than it is to big corporate advertisers because you don't want to have any way. The re- I mean, the readers dictate the editorial line to a certain point by writing in furious letters and cancelling their subscriptions. But it's not supermarket A saying, how dare you run this uh, uncomplimentary piece about our finance director. We're pulling all our advertising unless you, unless you pull that piece. You know, it, it, it's a much less dangerous model yeah. in that way. Which um, is not to say that there aren't, companies i mean there are occasionally car adverts i see in the front of the eye and i'm always a bit surprised that major car firms who we might slag off at any point <laughs> uh, let's not do it just now though eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh i'll name names adam but it is surprising in a way now i would well thought- I, I think I, I think as as a reader i would think well good for them that's um more, more power to your elbow that you if you're prepared to take that risk and go in there <laughs> with private eye and the knowledge that you might might get shafted by us yeah. um then um I, I appreciate that brand more that would be my thing I feel the same way, but I think this is also the reason why you and I are not captains of industry. Yeah, Yeah. why we're working here. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember very clearly a great experience many years ago when um, Ian called me into his office and said, now, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. He said, "Um, we've just taken a load of advertising from Sky TV. And I thought, ooh. And he said, so I want loads and loads of anti-Murdoch stories in the next couple of issues. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fine, boss. <laughs> and off I went. <laughs> and we did them. And the advertising ran. And it just, I think Sky still occasionally advertise with us. And um, don't expect any special treatment. Certainly not going to get it. Adam McQueen. 
Now, it's been quite a busy time since the end of the second series of Page 94. You might remember, if you listened to it, that we did an entire episode on the Freedom of Information Act and the threats to it from a governmental review. You also might remember that there have been headlines in the last few weeks saying victory on FOI, that the government is not going to change it and that they're leaving it alone. Uh, the truth is somewhere in between those two things. So the government have announced that they are not going to charge for Freedom of Information requests. That's That's a good thing. They've also announced that the system seems to be working fairly well as it is. That's another good thing. The bad news is that the most contentious exemptions, which allow public bodies to refuse FOI requests, are actually going to be strengthened, and that requests relating to government policy can be exempted, uh, provided they pass a public interest test. But the most serious change that the government are proposing to make to the Freedom of Information Act is that appeals will no longer be able to be made to a first-tier tribunal. Now, the first tribunal is such a good thing because it has frequently overturned the decision of public authorities. Uh, in about a third of cases, the decision has been turned over. Uh, whereas under the new arrangements the government are proposing, in almost every case, the Information Commissioner's decision is going to be final, and you'll only be able to challenge it on a point of law to this upper tribunal. So for all those of you who diligently filled in your forms and wrote in when we asked you to last series, congratulations and also commiserations, because the struggle is not over. If in doubt, write to your MP and complain again. Next up, one of the staples of the joke pages of the magazine is the From the Message Boards column. It has been 10 years since The Guardian opened up its articles to comments below the line. And recently, all sorts of papers have been frantically rowing back, realising what a tide of filth they have opened up their own websites to. Not to be outdone, two years later, Private Eye started From the Message Boards, a column where members of the online community respond to the major issues of the day with an equally disgraceful stream of comments. There is an enormous cast of characters to either love or hate, and so I spoke to the man who writes From the Message Boards, Ed Barrett, about them all, starting with the ever-present, ever-cheerful bog brush. When it first started, what was interesting was bog brush was just the kind of name I plucked it. It was just meant to be a sort of prep school type nickname that someone like that would have and of, of course I discovered this complete coincidence that there are obviously not surprisingly hundreds of bog brushes really out there so when that started everyone was trying to claim they were the you know the inspiration for it bog brush um, is so sweet because he starts almost almost every thread is started by bog brush isn't it and yes, almost everyone right. ends with him saying great stuff guys no matter how unpleasant people have been exactly to him in the yeah, meantime. yeah and when he was trolled by those horrible Australians uh, yeah and things like that yeah he's, there's another character like that Colin you know he's always been he's trolled by a horrible man called john um <laughs> he's and he always says oh, thanks 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 john after and does everyone have their own style guide basically you know because honey pot yeah. is different to Haley three right. two one yeah, and darling are, denise it, that's the that's one of the difficulties of, of it but um it, i do try to stick very closely i mean my partner is always uh, pointing out things saying oh he wouldn't say that or she wouldn't say that and <laughs> I say yes they would I, I know because they're in my head but um, yeah it, sometimes I do if it's a very old character there must be 
literally hundreds, if not thousands, of different characters over the years. And sometimes, if I, you know, exhume someone from ten years ago or not eight years ago, whatever, I do have to check back. You know, one of my favourites is Brown underscore Out, which is one of these yes. usernames that would have been set up exactly <laughs> while exactly, Brown was yeah. prime and minister. He's always, he's always going to be called Brown Out. Yeah, it's I was hilarious. Th- I was thinking of changing it, you know, to Cameron Out, and then I thought, no, just leave it. It's, it's always it's so much funnier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have favourites? I mean, in a way, I quite like all of them in, in an odd way. You know, you sort of empathise up to a point with most of them because <laughs> they're all sort of struggling in their different ways to, to, you know, desperately get their points across and justify themselves. Apart from, I mean, there's a handful of thoroughly nasty ones that I obviously, quite obviously don't like. John, in particular, is a, just a, a horrible man. But the ones, the other sort I don't like are the... Um, the ones who sort of think they're superior, you know, either think they're much cleverer or much funnier or whatever, and aren't and are just as stupid as the others, but have that horrible air of superiority. So Emily is one, you know, she's just nauseatingly sort of up herself. And uh, original thinker, I thought I'd go root one with that name. He, he'll just he uses he always say it's what I call, and then he use some phrase which is <laughs> completely common yeah. parlance, you know. Ones that I like doing as opposed to liking are any sort of extremist who's so extreme that they see other extremists as kind of wishy-washy. The sort of person who'd say, oh, I abhor racism, you know, as a scientific racialist, you know, the, the <laughs> vulgarity, of, you know, those kind of... And people like Athelstan and people like that who completely sort of cut themselves off from the world and just disdain the mongrel British and all the rest of it. Athelstan is the, what, the one who... A thousand thinks, years of... A thousand years of... Anglo folk blood <laughs> and he coursing only. through my veins. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's, he's doing a comeback in this week's one, actually. Oh, good. Um, but but the, as for the ones I like, I mean, I particularly like Gilfie Gracie, who's the, who's the sort of dogging and... Um, you know, she, pensioner. She but, says, what is it? It's, and it's, her, her intro is almost always the same, which is, my husband and I are in our 60s and have many hobbies, including real ale, non-league football, swinging and dogging. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the, the reason I like her is, first of all, I like the fact that for her, the dogging is just a hobby, just like the real ale and so on. And, and non-league football and real ale and things like that do sort of attract those sorts of people, people who are sort of connoisseurs of sausages and things like that. And uh, although she is in a different way, I suppose. <laughs> But, um, yeah, the other thing is that the why I really like her is I've got a real soft spot for people who are just disarmingly honest and not unembarrassed by things. If you, you know, if you can ever get away with not being embarrassed by something you are embarrassed by, the effect is extraordinary. People just don't know what to do. Then they end up sort of, oh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, another character I like is this, the conspiracy theorist who does the pamphlets, Edwin. And he's got a costume which is a, a finger, uh, which is... The wagging finger of the nanny state, and which is continually misinterpreted as a penis. It is and, uh, the, the, the funniest <laughs> in the whole. I love him so much. What, Edwin. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah. And the police, are, you know, when he gets arrested, he sees himself as a victim of police harassment on the, as a result of these misunderstandings. The thing about it, my partner's always going, oh, do Edwin, do Edwin. But the problem with him is thinking up contrived um, situations in which his costume can be adapted to to be you know a phallus usually with two spherical objects like i think when he was outside fifa once protesting his wagging finger had two footballs at the bottom of it and another time i think he had a a crash helmet on the top which he was polishing for some reason but you know it it gets quite difficult to think up new ones i think he's a good occasional treat to have my favorite is when he went to the cricket to protest something and he was dressed as the wagging finger of the umpire but he had his sun cream in the top of the costume (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, 
It is unbelievably oh, yes, funny. Oh, yes, squeezed out, didn't it? Yeah. Someone, someone pushed him. It was like, it's burst out, yes, and he was arrested, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is the room for a bit of old-fashioned smut, I think. Child, <laughs> childish schoolboy humour. It's probably one of the rudest bits of the magazine, partly because of the way people talk online. I don't see it as a parody as such. Um, well, first of all, because it, it is all made up. I think one, I think what, occasional spellings and things like that, or things that I pick up on that are sort of themes. I think there was a person that called English and Proud, and I actually saw a name where Proud was spelt P-R-O-W-D. But also, I don't think you can call it a parody, because parodies and spoofs are usually exaggerations, and if anything, it's it's far less extreme than what is actually out there. I don't go to the internet and then try and, you know, do a version of it. I just start with the characters and think what would they say and try and think how they'd respond to one another. The thing about the internet is also that it's kind of flat in a way so you often get misunderstandings over mm. especially over email or on message boards of course, yeah. you you know all these meanings get misinterpreted sarcasm and things like that are yeah. often taken at face value yeah. no tone of voice exactly and th- and that is a lot that's the thing that often happens in from the message boards is yes that, you know yeah. people just completely misunderstand yeah yeah and hijack of the course. conversation in their oh, own direction. I, yeah, that's the other thing that, that is always good, is when someone just takes it off onto their own agenda immediately. And there's a whole bunch of characters that we haven't had time to mention at all, but who just have an agenda, you know, like Justice for Maddie or whatever. And the, comp- the kind of competitive, the fact that people still, years after the disappearance on the internet, are arguing about it. And, you know, I'm more of a sort of diehard Maddie sport than you are. And how dare you say that? And, you know, it's just bizarre, really bizarre, that kind of thing. But I like to do that. I like to just in- introduce people who will immediately just railroad it in the whatever bizarre <laughs> subject they want to go on. It's, it's sort of an unmoderated vision of hell of the internet. It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> and there's, but there's also some sort of nice people on it as well. But, but what, what's good about them is that they're immediately sort of ripped to shreds by, by, by awful people. Yeah, Hayley321 is really sweet. Yeah, she's one of my favourite people. And she's just a very nice person, you know. Yeah. She's not actually stupid. She's just, in fact, a lot of what she says is sort of, um, without being too pretentious, you know, is, is sort of idiot savant type stuff you know she got often hits on the truth you know where, where people who see themselves as a bit clever and miles from it and then you've got people like meat isn't necessarily murder who starts yeah. with as a member of the consensual cannibal community yeah yeah <laughs> yeah people who've got a kind of uh, agenda where it's you know they see themselves as misrepresented or their group whatever they are it is spookily accurate and there seems to be no shortage of subjects do you think it can go on forever um i hope so <laughs> That's all I could say about that, really. Do you think the anonymity of it being online... It's funny because your characters aren't really anonymous. No. But often being anonymous online or having some kind of avatar encourages people's worst sides. But also, I don't think it's what people say that it's um, that they're anonymous, so therefore they say what they wouldn't say in real life. I think they just do say what they would say in real life. What I like about this whole sort of formula in a way is that people's characters eventually show through whatever they do you know that's just a fact of life it's uh, an iron rule isn't it and um so yeah i think the truth will out basically ed barrett that is it for the first episode of page 94 series three thank you very much indeed for listening if you've enjoyed it do tell your friends if not silence to the grave thanks again and we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>